since we have this property that's just sucking money out of our business, we can't go and do other deals. And that's the greatest loss of this whole thing was the opportunity cost. This property was a nuisance. We were having problems constantly that was eating up our time. It was eating up our investment capital. We thought at one point, we're going to have this thing for a year or two. Who knows how long we're going to have this? We can't get rid of it. And we have to keep making these payments. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, Stories of Loss, to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risks, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Josiah Smelzer. Josiah, are you ready to rock? I was born to rock, Andrew. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we got that in common. All right. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. Josiah Smelser is the current podcast host of the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast, a show on achieving financial freedom through real estate investing. Listen up, folks. It's a good one. Josiah runs his own appraisal business and is also a licensed real estate agent and runs his own investment property business along with a partner. Josiah is currently a licensed certified general appraiser and spent time working for companies such as C.B. Richard Ellis as a commercial appraiser in his past. He was also formerly a finance professor at the university level for several years where he taught some finance courses, including real estate. Josiah has an MBA from the University of North Carolina and is currently writing a book. Watch out for this one too, The Daily Real Estate Investor. So stay on the lookout for that. He is happily married, has three children, and currently lives in Huntsville, Alabama. Josiah, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. <laughs> Man, thanks for the intro. I'm, I'm really excited to be here, Andrew. I appreciate you, uh, you having me on. I'm honored. Man, interesting tidbits. Uh, that, that covered a lot of it. My family, just over the last week, four out of the five of us had the flu. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. Man, there's all kinds of interesting stuff. When I was 12 years old, my parents moved us to Tanzania, East Africa, where I got malaria. So there's, there's an interesting one. Not everybody's had malaria. We, we owned a, a pet baboon at that point. So uh, there's all kinds of interesting mm -hmm. stuff. I ran a, um, a hiking company doing uh, Mount Kilimanjaro hikes at one point. So I've, I've dabbled in a lot of different entrepreneurial things. But I'm excited to share one of my, my losers today on this show. And I, I honestly had a hard time figuring out which one I was going to share. I enjoy the episodes of your show that I've listened to. And um, I'm going to share one in the real estate realm, but I've also had some in the stock realm. So uh, you may want to have me back on again for another, another episode. Fantastic. But, uh, well, but I'm excited about this, man. Let's have some fun. And so now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about your circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Okay. So I'm going to share an investment that was a flip. Uh, a business partner and I were working together while I was, I was a college professor teaching fi some finance courses. I was doing this full time before I launched out and started my own business. My current business partner and I were kind of investing together long distance. And uh, we decided to, to kind of do this full time. So I stepped away from the teaching thing. And we decided we're going to try to scale a portfolio of buy and hold rentals. And we had some investment capital that was our seed money. And we decided, you know, we, we we're going to deplete the seed money if we just put money into each project, eventually our seed money is going to be gone. So we're going to start flipping houses to create new seed money for our business. So that leads us to one of our flips that I'm going to share. And, you know, 
Full disclosure, a number of my flips have gone really well and it's been a good experience for me overall. This one was my worst experience. I made a number of mistakes that I think the listeners will really benefit from. So we'll go ahead and dive into this one. So this property was a a bank foreclosure, made a number of offers on it and I'm an appraiser. So I pulled comps and, and I was fairly kind of the range of what I thought it would sell for. I did notice in the comparable sales that the days on the market in this specific area were about 90 days. In other words, from the second the property goes up for sale till the property is closed on the sale, not just goes under contract, but is closed, it was taking three months to sell the property, which is a bit long when you're flipping houses. You'd like to have, I mean, you like to unload them as fast as you can, you know? But so that's, that's three month holding period there. I don't feel like I've paid enough attention to the days on the market in the area we were mistake I made on the front end was this subdivision. It was a great subdivision, had good schools. It wasn't in the center of the city of Huntsville. It was on the outside. It wasn't directly next to a lot of amenities, but we made an offer on this property. The bank did not accept the property or the bank did not accept the offer on the property. And so we waited. The bank lowered the price. We made another offer. They rejected our offer. Back and forth on this, uh, the property sat on the market for maybe a month. We made probably our third or fourth offer. The bank finally accepted. We're, we're excited because we feel like there's a lot of margin in this thing. We go walk through the property with our contractor, okay? We didn't get a property inspection. And that's going to come back to bite us later, as you can guess. We walk through the property with our contractor, get an idea of what our repairs are going to be. We're happy. We feel like we're going to be able to make the money on this thing we want to make. Probably about a week before we're about to close, I go back over to the property. And when I walk in, this should have been the f- the first hint that this was going to be a massive loser for us. But when I walk in, I look, I look to my left into the little half bath downstairs and there's water streaming through the ceiling. There's nobody at the property. The property is empty, you know? So there's water pouring through the ceiling. And, and so I call my business partner and I say, Hey, was there anybody over here working on the property? He's like, no. I said, well, there's just water pouring through the ceiling all over the house. I mean, it's, you know, it's ruining the ceiling. Who knows? It's probably down in the walls. You know, who knows what kind of damage this has done. So we go running out and turn the water off at the street. Okay. So I call the, I call the foreclosure or the, the bank and tell them, Hey, this foreclosure you guys own has got water, you know, going, who knows where I turn the water off for you. We want to back out of this deal. And they're like, okay. And I said, or you guys could fix this. And they say, uh, we're not going to start repairing this property. You can go ahead and back out and we'll, we'll address the issues then. So we backed out. We felt pretty good about that. They lower the price two or three more times and we make another offer. We're like, we can fix the water issue. Okay. So they, so we end up getting the property for probably $25,000 less than we initially were under contract for, which is a major blessing uh, when you know how the story ends get the property under contract, end up closing on the property. We didn't get a termite letter because the bank, when they sell foreclosures, don't give a termite letter. And what a termite letter uh, does for you is basically uh, a company will come out and look to see if there's been termite damage, if there's active termites in the property, and they'll give you a letter of clearance. So we didn't have anybody check for termites. So we, we close on the property, we get out there, we start demoing the property, doing some of our work, and we find out there's been termite damage. So our estimate now goes up. There's not active termites in the property, but there's been a lot of damage to a lot of the, the structural part of the, of the home that we're gonna ha- now have to replace. So that adds to the cost uh, of our repairs. We also start noticing some holes in the backyard. 
we're like, what is this? This is so, uh, we've never seen this. I've never, I, I do home appraisals and I've been in hundreds, I, I would probably say thousands of homes at this point. I've never seen this at any property I've been to. What is causing these holes in the backyard? We hire uh, the pest control to come out and we say, you know, what's causing these holes? And they say, you have an armadillo infestation in the back of your yard. We're like, infestation, what does that mean? They're like, there's lots of armadillos out here and they're tearing your yard up. They're digging holes. They're ruining our, they were ruining our yard. I mean, holes everywhere, just appearing everywhere. When you'd walk on the backyard, your foot would just sink down in the ground. We're like, what is this? Are you serious? So the guy comes out and sets armadillo traps everywhere. And on a regular basis, when we show up to the house, there's, there's these massive armadillos in these traps. Like how big are, how big are these things? I mean, these are like Charles Barkley size armadillos. No, (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Let's just put it that way. And so the pest control company is taking these armadillos out to the woods miles away and letting these things go. And I'm like, what are the chances these things are going to show back up at our house? So so there's the armadillo thing, which is like, what, what is this? You know? So we get the armadillo problem taken care of. Then we find out that there is that there is rotten wood around a lot of the windows that we didn't catch on the front end during our walkthrough. Remember, we didn't get an inspection. We just right. walked through with our contractor. So now we find out that we're going to have to replace half the windows in the house. Well, windows are really, really expensive. And this is a, this is a larger home. So our, our costs on our repairs are, have gone up astronomically uh, just to this point. We kind of start thinking, okay, we're going to have to, this is, this is, we're just going to try to have to break even on this thing. Like our margin is quickly eroding and this is increasing not only the cost of the project, but the holding costs, which is something when you're flipping houses, you really got to pay attention to the holding costs. And what goes into holding cost is not just, not just your financing. You got to think when you buy a home to flip, you're looking at closing costs on the project. Let's say you buy a home for a hundred thousand dollars, you're in a flip your closing costs on that may be 5,000 bucks. Then you got your financing costs for the 100,000, which you're paying monthly. And those are typically interest only. You got closing costs on the back back end. You're going to have to pay costs to sell the property, which typically there's agent fees, closing costs of the title companies. There, there's all that. Not only that, but you're also on the hook for paying taxes while you own the property. So, you know, if you estimate three month holding period for your property and it turns into uh, six months, your holding costs go up tremendously, which kills your profit margin on a flip. So, mm-hmm. A lot of novice flippers don't properly estimate their holding costs. And that's something that we definitely underestimated on this that caused us a lot of problems. The project ends up taking a, one month longer on the renovation side than we anticipated. We list the property for sale and it just sits. And we're like, why are we not getting the traffic on this that we should? We feel like the market's pretty hot. And so I start really digging into the comparable sales and I start noticing that the properties in this area just don't move as fast. You know, and I would come back to this 90 to 100 day days on the market that was in these comparables. I didn't pay enough attention to that because I thought, you know, if we fix this property up and it looks great, and it did, the property looked awesome when we were done with it. But I, I thought if we fix this thing up and we price it right, it should move pretty fast. But we come to find out there weren't as many buyers in that area. It didn't matter how great the property looked. There just weren't a lot of people looking for properties out there because the property was not in the middle of the city. It wasn't in a great location amenity-wise. It was kind of out. And so we just didn't have as many buyers to sell the home to. So we listed the property and it set. We lowered the price, lowered the price. I get a client that calls me and said, this is the house for me. I'm so excited about this. It's a Sunday afternoon, you know, and I'm home. I want to watch football. And this lady says, can you please come show this house to me? I'm pretty sure I want to buy this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely show it to you. I could get double commission on this thing. We could, we might actually make some profit on this if, if I'm able to sell this to her because I could waive my commissions and we would still make money on the deal. 
So I drive out there and when I pull up to the home, there is a sea of hornets swarming the front yard. Yes, hornets. I'm like, what is this? And I jump out and I'm like, never in my entire life have I seen anything like, like I felt like it was like the plagues, you know, in the, the children of Israel with the plagues coming down on them in the, you know, the Old Testament. It's like, what is going on here? We've already had an armadillo infestation. We got termite problems, put water coming through the ceiling. Now we've got hornets swarming the front yard. And on top of that, I couldn't even figure out where they were coming from. There was no nest in the trees. There's no large trees in the front yard. And so I start walking through the front yard and I'm looking for holes in the ground. I can't even find it. So I'll go up and unlock the front door. These people pull up and the lady steps out of the car and it's just like hornets bumping into her leg. I mean, and I'm, I'm like just trying to distract. I'm like, yo, come on in. And, you know, so the first impression this lady has is, you know, this, this is a hornet infested house, you know. So she likes the house, but decides, of course, that she doesn't want to buy this naturally. So I call my business partner and I'm like, we have a hornet infestation now. Get the pest control guys back out here. Pest control guys come out. Are hornets in the ground or in their tree? Or I can't the hornets remember. Are in, these hornets were in the ground. They were ground hornets. And I think the armadillos had been eating the hornets. And we had taken the armadillos away. Oh, man. I tell you what. So the pest control company comes out and knocks down the, hornet, the hornet's nest up in the corners of the home. Doesn't do anything about the ground hornets and leaves. So I come back and it's worse. And so the guy that's mowing our grass, I'm out there with him, and he's driving around on his lawnmower, and these hornets are chasing him the whole time. And it's just this hysterical, in my mind, I can still see it. Anyway, he says, man, I'm going to go get some gasoline and just dump it down this hornet hole. And he said, I'll take care of the hornets for you. So he goes and gets some gasoline and dumps it down this this hornet nest hole, and the hornets are gone. Or he he didn't kill them, he, he ran them off. So anyway, that's just a little side story on this. Mm-hmm. But it, this this property I'm telling you is just the most insane, just the number of things that happened on this. So we finally get rid of the Hornets, okay? We had installed a brand new air conditioning. I go to the backyard and there is water pouring out from under the air conditioning. And I'm like, this is brand new. How, how is this possible? And we get, our H, we get our HVAC guy out there. And he says, the air conditioner's fine. It's the faucet directly behind the air conditioner has come off the house and it's now spewing water out into the air conditioner and under it. So we get that, we finally get that fixed. Once we got the AC fixed, we notice when we pull up to the house that a window on the garage is up. Has somebody been in our house trying to steal stuff or what's going on here? And this is a really nice neighborhood. So I lower the window down. I come back the next day, the window's up again. And I'm like... This window is, what is going on with this? So I lower the window again. For every day from then on, when we show up at the property, the window is up. I still don't know why. We finally went in there and stuck a nail in this thing and nailed this window to the, to the window frame to keep it from popping up. I have no clue why. It, it wasn't on a pier and beam. Uh, the, the window was not on a pier and beam. It was on the garage, which is concrete slab. I don't know why the window was popping. This is, this is the stuff I'm dealing with on this property. So we take care of the window, we lower the price, it sits, it sits, we finally get an offer. So we're like, at this point, just elated. And by the way, during this process, we're at about month five right now of having this property. We had anticipate holding this thing no longer than three months, wanted to sell it in two months. So we're at month five, we're like, we just got to sell this thing to these people. We have to sell it. We can't let these buyers walk away. They love the house. The house was great. It looked great inside. It just would not stop having problems. It's one of those things. So we go under contract with this group and they start doing their due diligence. They negotiate on the front end that they wanted to have some closing costs. So we're already at a point where we're losing a a decent amount of money at this point. 
they decide to get an inspection done. They get their inspection done and we're like bracing for the worst, right? They send over the inspection report and have 30 things they've requested for us to fix. And keep in mind, we've already gutted and flipped this. We've already gutted this house and redone everything on this property. So we're like, okay, we're going to fix all 30 of these items. And it was the most painful thing because usually we're like, no, we're not going to do that. We didn't have any other options, right? They had us in a corner. So, uh, and by the way, side note, during this process, since we couldn't get this property sold, I was talking about the opportunity cost of this. Since we have this property that's just sucking money out of our business, we can't go and do other deals. And that's the greatest loss of this whole thing was the opportunity cost. This property was a nuisance. We were having problems constantly that was eating up our time. It was eating up our investment capital. We didn't know. We thought, we thought at one point we're going to have this thing for a year or two. Who knows how long we're going to have this. We can't get rid of it. And we have to keep making these payments. So we stopped buying other properties. And our business model is to buy a property, do value add to it, get it rented out, and then refinance it. And our business model on our flips is buy it, renovate it, and get rid of it as fast as we can. We try to make a minimum of like $25,000, $30,000 profit. We invest that capital back in the investment side. Well, now we're not able to do any more flips. We're not able to do any more buy and hold properties. So this thing is literally just throwing a, a wrench in the works and our, our entire machine is just completely stalled out because of this property. So we're under contract with these people. We They send over their 30 items. We get our guys in there and they start fixing all 30 of these items. They get all 30 of these items fixed. So we're like, we're getting really close, man. We're going to close on this. Well, they get their appraiser in there. The appraiser sends over a list of 15 different items than the inspector. Is this, is this really possible? So we start looking and they're different items. The guy has got different things than the inspector. So we're like, and he says, I can't sign off on the appraisal on this property until these things are done because of this certain type of, of loan this, this buyer's getting. So we're like, all right, we'll fix the 15 items you're requesting. You know, between those two, we'd had two inspections. Okay. We get those items fixed. And then about, about a week, a week, week and a half before closing, the buyer wants to do a walkthrough and check the items that have been fixed. He goes into the property and says, and, and sends us, uh, we get a, a notice from the, the buyer's agent saying, um, hey, there's some new, new things that have broken on the house. There's now, they said, and we want to check the foundation. We haven't done anything to the foundation yet. <laughs> so we're like, great. So they get, the, they get a foundation specialist out there and they say, hey, there's water under the home. There's water damage under the home. We're like, wonderful, you know, and they said, and by the way, there's water dripping down one of the front windows in the house. So we're like, you got to be kidding me. And they sent us a list of six new items to be fixed. This is inspection number three. Then the foundation inspection was inspection number four. We get down there and 51 fix items there. Yeah. 30 yeah. plus the, the 15 plus another six. Yeah, it, yeah. If this is wearing you out, imagine yeah. what we were going through. Okay. So we finally get, we get the, uh, the foundation fixed. We get the issue with the window fixed and we're like, okay, this has got to end. You know, I, at this point had told my business partner, look, I'm waiving my commission. My commission's gone. I'm taking zero. So I'm, I'm dealing with selling this for not, for basically just, you know, to get the thing off our plate. So we got those issues fixed. And then I get, I think maybe three days before closing, I get a text message from the agent. Did you know there's a septic tank in the backyard on city water and city sewer? And the agent says, no, uh, it's got a septic tank. And I said, are you positive? And <laughs> we find out this property has a septic tank we didn't even know about. So she says, I want to get an inspector out there to verify that the septic works. So this is inspection number five. 
we're like, okay, well, we can't say no to that. Well, the inspector comes out and finds that the septic doesn't work. Two days before closing, the septic's being dug up and fixed. We get the septic tank fixed, finally. Get the thing buried back in the ground. We've got one, or we, the morning of closing, the buyer does a walkthrough and says, hey, there's these six items that aren't fixed still from the original list. And I'm like, well, you, they signed off on the list the first time, but they come back through and say, oh, we noticed some things that aren't to our satisfaction. My business partner's out of town at this point. So I'm like, okay, this thing is closing or it's going to kill me. So I go over there and I'm fixing the stuff along with the contractors. You know, there's like an hour. I was working in that house probably 20 minutes before closing. I'm, I'm still over there on my hands and knees scrubbing stuff off the floor. We had a, a request to fix the fireplace. We get a fireplace guy over there. They're fixing this gas fireplace. And when they, fi they finish fixing the fireplace, this is, this is the day of closing, the morning of closing. While the guy's fixing the fireplace, he decides to vacuum out all, all the dirt and dust and, and tar and soot and all the stuff out of the fireplace. So I get, a, I get a, a text message from my contractor saying, did you hear what happened? And I said, what happened? We're, we're about to close. We're closing in, in six hours. Dust said, in the whole house. He said, he said, the guy was vacuuming the fireplace out and hit the wrong button and it shot soot all over your walls can you scrub it off? And he said, they tried. It's going to have to be repainted. <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? They said, they said the guy that was vacuuming out the fireplace is over here painting the walls right now. And I said, can you please send your painter over there and just take care of it for me? Because like, we can't, we have to have this thing looking like it was, it has to be fixed. Josiah, at this point, all of our listeners are on the floor right now. For those people who have remained through this long story, they, as well as myself, their jaws are on the floor. Uh, all right. So, and, and, I, and I'm just getting terrified. You're about to tell me that the, the buyer eventually walked away, but let's, let's wrap it up. And then we're going to get into what you learned from this. Oh man. So we got the, the walls fixed. I walked into the little side bathroom and the guys had tracked the soot into the half bath. And this is like 30 minutes before closing. So I'm over there literally 30 minutes before closing, scrubbing the soot off the floors myself. And um, I get the, I get the house locked up. They sign the closing docs. We signed the closing docs and like had basically like tears of joy in our eyes. We lost $20,000 on this and you're like 20,000 bucks. That's, that's not a, that's not a big deal. When you consider that we, we basically, it took six months to get rid of this thing. We basically completely stopped our investment business for probably five months. We, we didn't even come close to hitting the goals we had for our investment business because we could not sell this property. The money was just, the, the $20,000 loss was just a small, a small portion of this. The opportunity cost of being able to buy properties, refinance, get our money back, go, go continue to buy properties with that capital it turned into a lot more than a $20,000 loss. It was hundreds of thousands of dollars of loss on top of just the stress of the entire thing. I mean, it was insane. It just would not stop. It wouldn't stop. You know what I'm saying? It was just problem after problem after problem. And man, I'm so happy. My business partner and I still to this day will send each other text messages of these two old men laughing. It's a meme of these two old men laughing. And I'm like, we're always like, you know, five months after sale of this property, you know, six months after sale of this property. And we still to this day, like have tears in our eyes. We're laughing so hard at this because we have never been so excited to lose money and walk away from a deal as we were when we sold this thing. All right. So let's, let's review. 
what did okay. you learn? I mean, you must have, as, as you look at your experience now and where you're at, what are the lessons that, that you take away from this? Sure. I, we made a number of, of mistakes. One, we just didn't get an inspection on the front end. I, I would highly recommend getting an inspection. This property was, it was on the high end of what we were willing to even mess with. In hindsight, I won't even mess with flips that are this expensive anymore because as you go up in price on properties, there's fewer and fewer buyers. I mean, it makes sense, right? If you're, yeah. gonna, if you're trying to sell a $2 million property, you know there's not a lot of people out there willing to buy that. It works the same way with 200,000, 300,000, 400, you know, for, for your market, depending on the, the normal average price in your market, the higher up you go, the harder it is to sell. So I would say, number one, if you're going to flip a house, you know, try to find properties that are kind of in the sweet spot where you have, you know, the largest number of, of buyers out there for your, for your property. Um, the second error we made is factor in what I call just the fudge factor, basically. What I do on all my flips now I figure out my expenses and I always, I'm conservative on everything, meaning I try to overestimate on my expenses instead of underestimate. You have a tendency to underestimate when you're new at it. I try to overestimate. And then once I'm done, I add on another 20%. So if we had done that, we would have recognized on this, hey, we're not going to make enough money at this price. If we buy at this price, we're not going to make enough money. If we had, on top of what we had estimated, added 20%, because that would have taken care of the termite problems, the foundation problems the armadillo infestation, the hornets, the septic, the, you know, it just keeps on going. Another one, we underestimated the impact of buying something that wasn't located in the middle of the city. We were kind of out from town and the days on the market killed us. Those are some takeaways on flips. I would say, try to find something in the sweet spot. Make sure that after you have your costs that you also add on kind of like a, a contingency factor or fudge factor there. So, you know, you make sure you're not underestimating. Yep. Look at the days on the market of, of your comparable sales, nail that down, and then try to, try to ask yourself, can we turn this around and be out of this, realistically be out of this as quickly as we want to be? Let me say a few things of what I take away from it. Um, one of the things which actually applies to all types of business is the concept of inventory turnover and holding inventory, whether that's in a manufacturing company, whether that's in real estate always try to reduce the amount of inventory you're holding. And I think you can get lazy about that. You can get, uh, not even lazy, just kind of forgetting the fact that it, it consumes time, energy, capital, but also inventory can deteriorate, you know, and have problems. So the first thing is for, for inventory to think about. Uh, the other one is that I wrote down the word lemon. Like there was a part of me that just felt like, you know, some things are just really bad luck or Absolutely. just the wrong time and everything, you know, and um, you're, you're a most honorable guy for just continuing to fix the things and just try everything you could to do that. I think we have to accept um, there's a randomness factor in business. And sometimes we are going to get exposed to a client, to a project, to this or that, where everything just goes wrong. And just like we're going to have somewhere everything just goes right. And I'd like, you know, of course, we would like to be able to think that that's due to our, you know, diligent and thoughtful research. But there is a, a variability factor or a randomness factor that we just have to suck up sometimes and push through. And I think that's a huge lesson that I think the audience can take away of your persistence at just staying at it until you got rid of it. And then the third thing, of course, is the concept of opportunity cost. 
And opportunity cost is brutal because opportunity cost is not only related to financial, but it's also related to the damage that an emotional state can do to you personally, to your partnerships, to your business deals, to your confidence. And so, you know, opportunity costs are very, very real. And here is a great story to help us, you know, understand that. Uh, anything you'd add to that? Oh, I would say you're right on. And I would say, you know, opportunity costs aren't just, aren't just monetary in your business deals. Your time is the greatest opportunity cost loss-wise you can bear in a, in a deal because we have a limited amount of time. And Warren Buffett talks about that all the time. Your, your time is your greatest resource and it's limited, right? So you want to spend your time well. So I would say, you know, when it comes to opportunity cost, be, be very diligent about cutting your losses and moving on and continuing and persevering, you know, because they don't all work out. But overall, my business partner are very happy with our, you know, the returns we have on our portfolio and what we've experienced. This is an example of the risk that we always try to assess and plan for. Some of them, like you're saying, there's some randomness to it. Some of them are lemons. You can uh, control it sometimes. Yep. You know, but you learn, you learn from it. You learn from your losers big time. For the listeners out there, I think, you know, this is a great story to understand why Josiah can be a, you know, someone worth listening to on the podcasts and in his own business because he's been through this. So um, what I want to do now is uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about your last question, which is your number one goal for the next 12 months. So our business goal is to acquire 10 or more cash flowing properties in a high appreciation market. And we've decided that we want at this time, one to four family properties. We've kind of fixated on Dallas Fort Worth because we believe that that market over the next 20 to 25 years in good neighborhoods is going to appreciate at around 5% a year. And with our strategy of buying, renovating, getting it rented out and then refinancing and get up, getting most of our capital back, we're able to take control of a property worth $200,000 with only about $10,000 of our own capital invested. And then the tenant pays that property off while that $200,000 property appreciates at a high rate. And once it's paid off, it's worth four more. So our, essentially our $10,000 is turning into maybe a 50 bagger. Like if, you, if it turns into 500,000 one day, you got 50 times your money on that. Got that it. didn't even include the, the passive income you're getting. So that's our goal. We're trying, to, we're trying to take control of or you know, add to our portfolio 10 or more properties this year in good areas. Fantastic. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk. Visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Josiah, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers. In fact, that one was painful for all of us. <laughs> but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And we're going to be all thinking about you. We're going to be thinking about, holy crap, armadillos. The number of people that, number of people that are going to type armadillos into Google to look for a picture. All right. Do you have any parting words for our audience? Oh, man, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I ho hope one person can avoid some of the pitfalls that, uh, that, we, that we had on this. And I'll, it was great having the opportunity to do this. I really appreciate it. So great. great having you. And for the listeners, there'll be a lot of links and stuff in the show notes so you can connect and, and learn more. Uh, so that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, 
and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.